Well, good morning. It's great to see so many of you here this morning, and uh, welcome to all of you online. December 30th, 2020. It was a great day for skiing. You know, the snow was great. It was wonderful. My friend Joel was up on the hillside enjoying a good day when suddenly an out-of-control snowboarder hit him from behind. It was a hit and run. The snowboarder kept going, but Joel tumbled down the hill, ending up in a crumpled mess with five fractures in his pelvis. Now, two months later, he walks with crutches. He deals with chronic pain. He can't sit for more than two minutes in one place. And he knows his life has changed forever. It could be an unplanned pregnancy. It could be a surprise memo at work that you're being let go. Or maybe a memo, surprise memo that you're getting a promotion. Maybe they found a spot on your mammogram and they say you need to come in right away. Maybe retirement is looming, which sounds great, but you really have no idea what you're going to do. You did poorly on a test in a class that you need for your major. A relationship with a good friend has gone south and and you don't even know why and you don't know what to do. You just got a large inheritance and you know it's going to change your life, but you aren't sure how. This morning before first service, two women came up to me. One said, I've just been diagnosed with cancer that is in several internal organs. Would you pray for me? The other woman said, my nephew this week took a gun and shot himself. And I'm really hurting. Or a pandemic might actually hit and change everything, and suddenly you realize, how did I get to a place where I have such an interest in toilet paper? (laughs) All these things and many others, it can be almost anything, rock our lives, shake us. They change us. They change our world. So the question is, We all face these, so how can we respond in a way, when God rocks our world, how can we respond in a way that is in line with God, that leads us closer to Him and more in line with His will? We know He's sovereign. We know everything is from His hand, even the hard things. So we know He has something good for it, but how can we get in line with Him in a really good way that allows us to grow closer to Him? I think looking at this passage today, the birth of John the Baptist, can help us see how to go deeper with God when he rocks our world, whether it's something negative or something positive. So let's pray together. Lord, we are really messy sheep. (laughs) And a lot of times we, we wander the wrong way and we don't know what to do and 
Lord, we need you to feed us today. Life is hard, and when you rock our world, we often just don't know what to do. Feed us, we pray. We're hungry for more of you. In Jesus' name, amen. So when God rocks your world, I want to look at four different responses, four responses I think are really important if we are going to respond in a good way. The first one is simply be quiet. (laughs) Be quiet. Let me set the context. Rod did a good job over the last couple of weeks doing this, but I want to just remind you that we've had 400 years of silence for Israel. It's been tough. They've been longing for God to set them free from the oppression of first Babylon, then Persia, then Greece, and now Rome. They prayed, but there have been no prophets, no word from God. It's been 400 years of silence. And suddenly God shows up and he sends the angel Gabriel to Zechariah, the priest, who by chance is chosen from thousands of priests by lot to serve in the temple. And as he's in the temple, Gabriel shows up and he tells old Zechariah, who's way too old to have children, you're going to have a son. And I think this rocked his world. It's interesting how Gabriel puts it. He says, what you've been praying for is going to happen. But by Zechariah's reaction, he either quit praying a long time ago <laughs> or, or if he's still praying for a son, he just doesn't believe it's ever going to happen because he, his response is, um, how will I know? It's kind of not a... Essentially what he's saying is, I need more proof. Yeah, you may be Gabriel standing right in front of me, giving me a message from God, but that's not good enough. I need more proof. And I love Zechariah or uh, Gabriel's response here. I guess 400 years of silence wasn't enough. So I'm giving you nine more months, Zechariah. <laughs> and in the text, it's very clear that though we often talk about Zechariah could not speak, It's clear from the text that he also could not hear. He was both deaf and mute. So what God did for those nine months was shut out all other voices, even his own, so that all he could hear was God's. All other noise is shut out of his life. You see, when God rocks our world, something happens. Our tendency is to get busy, isn't it? To try to figure out how to manage it, how to jump in, how to, how to fix it, do, to do something. Just tell me what to do. I know for me, when I'm, my world is being shaken, I just want to be able to feel a little sense of control. Can I, can I change the oil in the car? You know, can I fix a faucet? Can I do something to feel some sense of control in the midst of it? But I think what God is often doing as he rocks our world is he is 
imposing silence on us like he did on Zechariah. If we won't slow down and be quiet. I know when in 2000 I was going hard in ministry, I was working hard, running fast, and and I developed some attitudes that weren't good, but man, I was going for it, and God laid me low with a heart attack. And I couldn't do anything for a month. But God spoke to me during that time when he imposed silence on me. But it would would have been much better, and it will be much better for all of us if we would make the choice (laughs) to be quiet before him. If you go through the spiritual disciplines of that are ancient practices of drawing close to God and growing spiritually. One of those that's talked about often is solitude. The need to get alone with God, shut out all other voices so you learn to listen to the voice of God. When I took a sabbatical a few years ago, the elders gave me three months sabbatical, which was wonderful. But I took that first month and I was completely alone for that first month. Borrowed a couple cabins, went and camped by a river, but I was by myself, except for God. And it was a month that allowed me to begin to develop those listening ears of hearing from him. Lord, I need to hear from you. It was a way of being quiet before him. My men's leadership team, many of the guys are either retired or close to retirement and so they're thinking about that. And so we're studying a book together called An Uncommon Guide to Retirement. And the author in there talks about the need for when you first retire, do not just jump into the next activity. Just don't get busy, etc. But take what he calls a sabbatical. In other words, be quiet before God. Take time to listen so that God can begin to speak to you and you can hear from him before you jump into the next thing. Remember Paul on the road to Damascus. God, Jesus appears to him and transforms his life. And what does Paul do? He goes to Damascus and he immediately begins preaching. I'm going to preach Jesus now because I know Jesus is the way. And he starts preaching and it's a disaster. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he talks about the fact that he was utterly humiliated. He had to be let down by a basket just to save his life because they were all out to kill him. And what did he do? He went for a period into the wilderness. Some, he was at least three years, and some scholars think it was up to 14 years that Paul had to disappear, be quiet, get solitude with God to really hear his calling from God before he could come back and be effective as the apostle to the Gentiles that God had called him to be. See, I think these nine months of silence led Zechariah to some deep truths about God. And he went from, give me more proof, God, (laughs) to submission to God's will and a delight in who he was and a deeper understanding of who God was. So when your life is rocked, when it's shaken by circumstances, 
that you don't have control over, be quiet before God. Be quiet. Listen, God, what are you doing here? I want to hear from you. Shut out the other voices. Turn off, you know, put away the earbuds, whatever you need to do. And learn to sit quietly with him, to hear him speak so that he can change you. Secondly, when God rocks our world, what I see in this passage is that we need to take time to wonder. Take time to wonder. David just read the story of this great celebration of the birth of John. It was amazing. John the Baptist is born and the whole community shows up. Everybody's there. It says their relatives were there. The entire community, they all came out and everybody's celebrating. The Jewish celebration of a birth in those days was one in which as soon as the baby was born, everybody gathered and they brought food and they partied for eight days until the circumcision. So this was a great celebration. This was a great, great party. (laughs) But the amazing thing, they're celebrating not just a birth, but they're celebrating the fact that this old couple... Zechariah and Elizabeth were way too old to have children, had given birth. And the words that are used to describe the people's response in this passage include, depending on your translation, joy, astonishment, wonder, fear at what is going on. You see, when God rocks our world, when when he shows up in a... (laughs) in a way that really shakes things for us. God wants to expand our view of the world and of what he's doing in it. But we won't see that unless we take time to wonder. Take time to look and say, God, what are you doing in this? Where are you at work? What, how are you moving? I I, kind of got this picture of like, You know, you're standing in a house and you're trying to see what's out there and you're kind of peering through the windows and when God rocks your world, the whole house collapses. All of a sudden, you can see a whole lot more. (laughs) And I think that's part of what God wants to do. He wants to open our eyes to begin to see and wonder at what he is doing. Look around. Ask, Lord, what are you doing in this? See, to wonder allows God to reorient our minds. Our our lives have been thrown off track by whatever's happened. But our tendency is just as quickly as we can, jump back on the same old track. Because that's comfortable. That's safe for us. But let me encourage us not to jump back on the same old track, but to look for what is new that God might want us to understand and to see, to begin to look at it at a different angle and to wonder at how God is moving in this. Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It says our minds are being transformed, that we are changed. And when God rocks our world, it opens the door to seeing God and life and ourselves differently. But we won't get there unless we take time to wonder. Think of Joseph in the Old Testament and in Genesis. 
all he went through his brothers being envious and then they try to kill him and then they sell him as a slave and he finally gets out of that and then he gets thrown into prison and you know life's a mess for him but at the very end after all his brothers did to him and caused in his life he's able to say to them you meant this for evil but God intended it for good how did he get there he took time to wonder. He took time to look and see God's hand in it. But let me say, to do this, to really wonder, to take time to wonder, takes humility. You see, if we feel like, I've got it all figured out. I, uh, I, I know what God's doing. I've got it all figured out, whatever. Then, then we will not hear from him. But if our attitude is a humble one that says, Lord, (laughs) I see through a glass darkly. You know, I just do not see life clearly. Thank you for all the things you've shown me, but but I am so biased. I, I just don't see life well. I see only a tiny bit of the whole picture. I'm so blind to a lot of what you're doing and who you are. God, I need you to change my perspective and open my eyes more to who you really are. See, if we have that kind of humility, God will respond. God will speak. God will understand. It's when we think we've got everything nailed down, our theology and God's point of view, so that we're in real danger. It's at that time that we are in real danger of becoming Pharisees who had Jesus right in front of them and could not recognize him as God because, man, they had a God in a box. He's got to be within this box. And if he's not there, can't be from him. And they missed God. Why? Because they never took time to wonder. They never had the humility to ask, God, open my eyes. Change me. Change my perspective. Now, let me say, of course, there's non-negotiables, right? I mean, The Bible is God's authority. That's a non-negotiable. Jesus is the only way to the Father. That's a non-negotiable. That the cross and the resurrection are central to the gospel. We always cling to them. I get that. I get that. but, But are we open to God's changing a lot of our thinking? Larry Crabb, one of my mentors, who's had a huge impact on a lot of people in his later years, said this. I'm absolutely certain of a lot fewer things than I used to be. But I'm more certain of those things than I was then. I'm absolutely certain of a lot fewer things than I used to be. But I'm more sure of those now. Let's live with a sense of wonder. Let's take time. When God rocks your world. Third, if we are going to respond in a way that gets us where God wants us to be, when God rocks our world in whatever way He does it, we need to put on a biblical lens. Put on a biblical lens. I remember the first time I ever went to a 3D movie, you know, with the glasses on and everything. It was at Disneyland. And I'd never been in that kind of movie or anything, you know, and you walk in and you, 
You take, without the glasses on, things are a little blurry, and it's just a normal picture, but it's kind of weird. And you put the 3D glasses on, and suddenly you're seeing so much more. And things are coming at you, and you're ducking because it feels like they're right there. It makes you see so much more. And Zechariah, in his, what they call the Benedictus, his, his praise to God, his blessedness to God, that he says in verses 67 to 79, he looks way beyond the fact that he just had a baby, he and Elizabeth. And he begins to look at this through a biblical lens and begin to see how God is working in God's story, how this birth is actually part of something far bigger than he could have ever imagined. You see, he begins to see it in the whole salvation history of Israel, the whole context. Listen to verse 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. God has shown up finally after 400 years. Wow, this is a big deal. And then he begins to point out how Messiah has finally come. He's part of this too. My son's a forerunner. Verse 69, he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant. Messiah has shown up. He's here. And then verse 70 to 73, he sees how God is keeping his promises through this. Verse 70, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. He quotes the Old Testament to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath with which he swore to Abraham our father. God promised from Abraham on through the prophets all the way through that something would happen and we've been waiting and it's here. You see, he's put on a biblical lens. He's looking back in the scriptures and say, how does my son's birth fit into God's bigger story? And then 74 to 79 He talks about how he sees that this is the fulfillment, that God's rescuing us from our enemies, and my son gets to be part of that. To grant that us, that that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, John, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, with which the sunrise from on high will visit us to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. God is rescuing us, he says, from our enemies, and the biggest enemy especially, our own sin. God has shown up. We've been waiting, and he's here. And this baby's birth is part of all that. This rocking of my world is part of the bigger picture of how God is working. Now, I I get it. You're probably sitting out there going, yeah, but how God has rocked my world. A cancer diagnosis, a ski accident, job loss, etc., etc. It's not John the Baptist, (laughs) It's not the forerunner of Jesus who came to change the whole world. This is cancer. This is whatever. So how can I look at it through a biblical lens? 
Well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> and one answer to that is this. In some ways, that can only be answered between you and the Lord as you are quiet and you begin to wonder and you begin to read the scriptures and you begin to ask God, how are you speaking through this? How does this relate to the bigger picture of salvation and what you're working out, Lord? And letting God begin to speak to you through his scriptures. But let me just give you some hints here, some things to think about. Everything that happens to us is not just for us. Everything that happens to us is for more than just us. We are, every one of us, part of God's bigger story that he's working out, the kingdom of God that he is building. We are part of that, and so everything that happens to us fits into a bigger scenario. And if we begin to put on a biblical lens and read the scriptures and say, God, speak to me here and help me understand how this fits into your bigger picture, that it's not just about me having to go get chemo or whatever it might be. How are you working out your bigger story and help me to see that? God will show you. I think of my friend Ed Harrell, who last summer was diagnosed with terminal lung cancer. I get together with Ed regularly and we talk and we pray together. And I love getting together with him because he's just full of stories how God is using this in such a bigger way. It's all part of the bigger picture of how God is working. You know, when I get to go to the VA and when I, when I have my treatments, I get to meet with other patients who are struggling, and I get to encourage them, and I get to talk to the nurses and say, hey, do you know Jesus? And I get to do that, you know, and he just sees how God is using this as part of building the kingdom in a much bigger way. He's put on a biblical lens, and he's seeing God in this. He's seen how it's allowed him to get closer to his own kids, and on and on. He sees that God is building his kingdom through rocking his world. How can he see that? He's put on a biblical lens. He's reading and he's asking God to show him his perspective. And he remembers how a key verse, Romans 8, 28, God works all things together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, that God is in this somehow and Lord Help me through your word understand how you are working in this situation. If we're willing to do that with humility, with Lord, I need you to open my eyes, God will show you. And then fourthly, we need to be quiet. We need to take time to wonder. We need to put on a biblical lens. And then finally, we need to have courage to follow. Courage to follow Jesus. And to explain this, you know, what am I talking about here? To explain this, we need to look at the bigger picture of what Luke is doing in chapters 1 and 2 of the book of Luke. If you read it through into, one, you know, chapter 1 and chapter 2, it becomes really obvious that he's contrasting the birth 
of John the Baptist and the birth of Jesus. He's purposely putting them next to each other. First, you have Gabriel coming to Zechariah to announce the birth of John the Baptist. Then you have Gabriel coming to Mary to announce the birth of Jesus. Zechariah's response is, I need more proof. Mary's response is, may it be to me. As you have said, there's a contrast going on there. And then you have the births themselves. You have the birth of John the Baptist. It's a huge celebration. Everybody in the community comes. Woohoo! It's great. <laughs> and what's the birth of Jesus like? Far from home, no family, no friends, no celebration in a stable. Nobody is there to celebrate until some smelly shepherds show up and then the angels who have shown up to the shepherds. Not to Mary and Joseph. There's a contrast there. I think it's because Luke is drawing a contrast here, a tension that continues throughout the whole book of Luke between the religious establishment represented by Zechariah and God himself in Jesus, who is not in the religious establishment. In fact, the religious establishment is in conflict with him all through the book, and eventually the religious establishment puts him to death. There's two kingdoms here. And Zechariah is a good guy, but he's part of the old kingdom. He's a righteous man, but he doesn't get what God is doing. And one of the biggest contrasts is between their two songs, Mary's song and Zechariah's song. Zechariah says some wonderful things, but if you read it carefully, you see that What he's looking to, his promise that he's counting on, is that God is going to give Israel power and we are going to overthrow our enemies. And what does Mary say God's kingdom is about? The Messiah has come to overturn the kingdoms of the world, to raise up the poor, the broken, the powerless, and to bring down the powers of the world. And throughout the book of Luke, you see that contrast. Jesus always exists outside of the religious establishment. And he is crucified outside of the religious establishment. Zechariah is looking from an old lens, looking for power over Rome. And throughout the book of Luke, the priesthood, the scribes, the Pharisees continually refuse to see Jesus for who he is. So I think in these first couple chapters, Luke is setting the stage for what will happen throughout the book of Luke to show us these two different ways of approaching God. But I want, to, I want to say something interesting. I want to look at something interesting. There's a verse over in Acts, chapter 6, verse 7. Remember, Luke wrote this, too. He wrote the book of Luke, and he wrote the book of Acts. And he sticks in this verse that it's like, why is that there? 
Acts 6, verse 7. The word of God kept on spreading, and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. (laughs) Wow. Why just the priests? Why not the Pharisees, the the scribes, etc.? Why the priests? Well, I like to think, we don't know, but I like to think it's because those priests who were doing sacrifices all the time were able to see, wow, there's blood, but, the, but it never really takes care of our sin. It's never enough. And so when they hear the message of Jesus who died as our sacrifice on the cross, they saw it. This is reality. This is the new kingdom. He's died for us. He's given us life. And they got it. (laughs) But think about that, what it took for those priests to become followers of Jesus. I mean, they're in the old system. Their jobs depend on the old system. And so they're giving up their jobs, their well-being, all of that to follow Jesus. When their eyes were open to the reality of who Jesus is and the new kingdom, they had the courage to step out and follow. What about Zechariah himself? Did he get it? Well, actually, as far as we know, scholars think probably Zechariah died shortly after John the Baptist's birth because verse 80, the last verse of chapter 1, and the child continued to grow, speaking of John, and to become strong in spirit, and he lived in the deserts until the day of his public appearance to Israel. As a son of a priest, he most likely would not have lived in the deserts. So they think his parents probably both died. They were older, and he was raised maybe by the scenes the Essenes at Qumran or by someone else in the desert. So Zechariah didn't get it, but many of his fellow priests did. Like the disciples who had the courage to leave everything and follow Jesus when he said, follow me. That's the question for each, each one of us. When God rocks our world, when we take time to be quiet and we begin to see what God's doing and the bigger thing that he's doing, are we willing to follow him in this whatever new way? Are we going to jump back on the old tracks or are we going to be willing to follow him in a new direction when he leads? Will we have the courage to step out of our old comfortable way of doing things? God wants to transform us and lead us. Will we embrace what God is actually doing? I've seen myself and many others I've even seen churches who said no. That's too scary. I'm going to dig in my heels. I will not go there. I need to stay safe. Brothers and sisters, let's not be that way. Let's choose to have the courage to say, Lord, if you're leading this way, I will follow. Don't say it's too scary. It's too much change. It requires too much faith because when you do that, you end up missing out on where God is actually moving, and the result ultimately will be spiritual decline. We all get our worlds rocked at times, every one of us. I've been rocked by this pandemic. I've been rocked by a number of things in my life, but this pandemic has really thrown off a lot of things in my life. 
How can we respond in a way that gets us where God wants us? Well, I I think this passage is helpful. Uh, Can we be quiet and really hear from God? Shut out the other noises. Can we take time to wonder at what God's doing? Begin to ask him with humility. Open my eyes, Lord. I'm blind. I need to see how your hand is moving here. Are we willing to put on a biblical lens to spend time in the scriptures and say, Lord, speak to me through your word and help me see what you're doing here. Help me to see it in your bigger picture of what you are doing. And then as he shows us what he's calling us to, can we have the courage to follow where Jesus is leading? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this challenge to just think about when those times that all of us face and, and our world is rocked and we, we get thrown off balance and everything feels unstable, it's, it's so easy to look for a way to control and we confess, Lord, we do that and we, we don't turn to you and listen to you, but help us to do that so that we can begin to let you begin to shape us in new ways, in new ways of thinking, in new ways of looking at the world, and in new ways of living for you. And Lord, now as we turn together to have communion, as we celebrate your death for us, Lord, we thank you that you chose to come outside of the religious establishment, that you chose to give up your life for us to bring us forgiveness that we might have life, that we might depend on you in our brokenness, in our neediness. You give us life. Help us to follow you, to be poor in spirit, to live outside the camp. (laughs) And now as we take the bread and we take the cup. We thank you. We celebrate you for giving up your life. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. (laughs) So, after supper, or Jesus took bread And he showed us the true kingdom of God by what he did. It's it's a kingdom in which we give up our lives. We don't seek power. We don't seek control. We actually give up our lives and depend on him in a deeper way. So during supper, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this bread is my body, represents my body given for you the body of Christ. And after supper, Jesus took the cup. I put two cups here purposely. One is a cup etched with Jewish writings. It's from Israel. It's silver, rich, beautiful, represents the old covenant seeking power and wealth. Jesus came a different way. Earthen vessel, 
like us, to give up his life for us that we might have life. After supper, he took the cup also and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, the blood of Christ. Thank you, Lord, for your life that you gave for us. Thank you because of that, we can freely admit our struggles and we can freely come to you to find forgiveness in life. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.